when you talk to the farming community, they always tell you that, uh, especially when it comes to biologicals, biological inputs, talking about biofertilizers, biostimulants, non-different biocontrol uh, inputs. So what they, they are always concerned is that, is it going to work in my field? It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. All over the world, we're paying attention to what's going on in the soil, the, the microbial community, how we build soils. And in fact, to prove that point, I'm going to go quite a ways away from California uh, and visit in Spain today. And I'm happy to uh, welcome Adrian Ferrero. Uh, and Adrian is a co-founder of a company that I'm going to have him explain. And uh, Adrian, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Hey, hi, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here today. Have you noticed, Adrian, everybody's got soil concerns, soil health concerns, and um, pretty universal. I mean, you're an example of that because you actually, your company is paying attention to what's going on in, in the soil and trying to improve it. And you're working from Spain, but you're, you're working all over the world. Yeah, so it's great that people is concerned about soil because soil is more important than we were realizing and we were not really taking care of the soil as we, as we should. So making people aware of that and becoming conscious about the relevance of the soil, this is this is crucial for, for our future. At Biomakers, Biomakers is a company that we started in 2015 uh, based in California. We also have operations in other areas. Right now, I'm, I'm in in Europe, and that's the reason because I'm connecting from, from Spain, usually based in, in California, but uh, we currently have operations in over uh, 40 different countries, uh, meaning that it's real that uh, especially the farming community is taking the soil uh, aspect very serious. Uh, they are really concerned about soil productivity. They are really concerned about uh, the biological processes, the biological activities happening in the soil. And what we help them with is to really generate data on all the biological activities happening in the soil, measuring the life of the soil, because when we say uh, only living things can be healthy, so when we say soil health, we're talking about the life of the soil, and we have developed a technology that utilizes one of the most interesting bioindicators in nature, which is the soil microbiome. To, to really understand what is happening underground. Uh, soil microbiome is a perfect biosensor because it reflects, it changes uh, depending on whatever you do in the field. And at the same time, uh, it plays a crucial role on all the biological activities that are going to impact uh, plant growth. And this is what we do. Well, you you know, um, I've got listeners that tell me, you keep talking about soil, Roger. And I said, yeah, I do. I do. It's, re it's really important. And they're trying to learn because some of these people, um, farmers are already trying to get their arms around it more and more. But then I have people that are restaurants and food companies and, you know, people that are just kind of foodies and concerned about how their food is grown. And they're, they're, they're curious. So some of my listeners are 
still commuting to someplace or they're traveling and they've downloaded a podcast and they're actually like you getting ready to get on a, a plane probably and go to another part of the world, even though there's less of that than used to happen. And they're, they're working hard to understand how we can get a picture of what's going on in the soil and, um, and then decide how do you make it better? What, what is better? Um, so let's start with this. I mean, if I'm going to say, okay, I want you, Adrian, to uh, go with me. We're going to have a magic carpet ride, and we're going to hit around the world. We're going to jump into India or Spain or somewhere else and say, okay, here, look at this soil. How do we find out what's going on here? How do we know what the current situation is of the condition or the population of the microbial community in a spot? What's the first thing you do? Let me just uh, throw some data that are going to help the audience to really understand uh, why soil is so relevant. If I tell you that 95% of our food comes directly or indirectly from the soil, you will be really surprised because then you start thinking, okay, perhaps uh, soil is more important than uh, I realize. And then if I tell you that in the last 40 years, uh, we have lost one third of the arable soil globally because of the farming practices, then you realize, okay, it's a limited resources. So we should be careful about soil fertility, soil health, in order to ensure that we can keep feeding the population, keep producing food for everybody, and uh, at the same time doing it in a healthy way because we want to eat food that is healthy no uh, and when we say healthy that is not going is going to food that is going to help us for good and not for for bad it's not just about the nutrition it's also about protection it's also about the stimulation of our bodies well, let me stop you for a second here. Let's go back to this 30% number that you, you threw out. So this, I mean, it's not like the quantity of soil disappears or we'd be all standing in a hole or something because, I mean, the, 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 the quantity of physical material is there, but is it like it's become desert-like and the, the, the organic matter has declined? Is it, is it something like that that you're referring to that when you come up with a 30% figure? Yeah, uh, that's the, the point. Uh, soil fertility drops dramatically and then uh, you have to use more resources, more inputs in order to be sure that you are able to grow food in that specific place. And there is a moment when uh, that's not feasible from a financial point of view or even environmental point of view. So then you, uh, people start thinking, how can we get some additional soil that uh, we can use to grow food and we don't want the the forest or the wild uh, natural areas to be destroyed to to get additional arable soil we want to preserve and even recover the soil because that's another thing that is possible actually we have some some actions with some clients in in desertic areas like peru or middle east uh, to recover the soil fertility. That's possible, and that's what we are talking about, desertic soil, soil that has lost the life, no? not literally, but not uh, completely, but uh, enough life to make agriculture not feasible. 
So I would imagine if you went to someplace that hadn't had progress, that was still farming the way that they did 150 years ago and some of the smallholder operations and so forth, I, I would suspect there's a lot of fertility there. And I would also then suspect that places that have just been almost farmed out with high technology, doing lots and lots of tillage and adding adding chemicals that are necessary to produce more and more and more, I would... I would expect to to see that um, that 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 one would look a lot different than the other, you know. And and I have a vision of even colors. It'd be like one would be more black and dark and rich looking, and another one would be more gray and almost feel lifeless, you know, if you were putting them side by side. Yeah, organic matter impacts the color of the soil and impacts also the, the fertility, but you are fully right. I mean, if we would be farming as we were doing 200 years ago, probably we'll be more respectful with soil fertility. But uh, keep in mind also that population has grown in these 200 years and the pressure on the farming community to increase the yield has been very high. And uh, that's the reason because they have to be innovative. And according to the let's say, let's say technological status uh, 40, 50, 60 years ago, that was the best way to increase the, the, the yield, the productivity in the field and to be sure that we were able to deliver uh, food, no crops uh, everywhere. And we have reached a really big standards on, on the yield. There is still some room to keep increasing the yield, but now that way of, of farming is not sustainable. We cannot maintain that way of farming. And because the technological status right now is different, so we have new tools available as the ones we have developed at Biomakers that um, gives as the opportunity to improve the way we farm and then find the perfect balance between increasing the productivity and preserving the, the fertility of the soil. And the new revolution in agriculture is what is called the regenerative agriculture, which is very respectful with the ecological balance of the soil, with the fertility, and uh, it's pushing to maintain a really high level of productivity in the field. So maintaining the yield, decreasing the pressure in certain inputs no that by the way currently are very expensive because the the different situations that we are facing as as humans and uh, yet yeah, in order to make agriculture for farmers feasible from the economic point of view and feasible from the human point of view as a society to have enough food then we have new tools and this is the opportunity we have now to to become more conscious about how to do agriculture in a better way a smarter way back in the days when farmers used to have livestock too and some still do but they have livestock too they would take the manure and spread it on the fields and, and and then when they had a day off to go fishing, they would go out across into that field and stick a spade in the ground and get all kinds of earthworms that they could put on and go to a farm pond. Um, anymore, you hear that. I hear that quite a bit of people saying, hey, where'd the worms go? Um, I suspect that you're doing something a little bit more advanced than simply looking for earthworms. I mean, What's your equivalent today of sticking the spade in the ground and figuring out what the hell's like there? Well, worms are amazing because they contribute to this ecological balance that I, I was referring before. The point is that uh, as we were moving into more 
let me say, industrialized agriculture using uh, agrochemicals, using uh, different equipment, pillage, and so on. Uh, what we were doing is specializing the environment to be highly productive. But that had a cost because we were breaking the, the that balance, that ecological balance, no? And that's the reason because the worms disappear. With the, the approach we are do, uh, taking is by looking at, at the bacteria and the fungal species that populates the soil. The community of microbes that are in the soil, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, they, they are essential. In the same way, a human needs uh, our microbes to process the food, to be fit, no? or to digest the, the food that we eat, to protect ourselves from different diseases, the plants need the soil microbes in order to feed and also get protected and eventually uh, stimulate the plants to be more resistant to certain well, threats, let's say, or conditions. So this is what we do. We use a, a technology called DNA sequencing because that allows us to digitalize the whole spectrum of microbes that populate the soil. We look at the DNA. We don't need to culture, which is also very important because only 1% of the microbes uh, can be cultured at this moment. So so if we want to get a full profile of, of this community, then we need to use different tools. So DNA sequence allows us to understand and to identify all the microbes that are in the soil, the known and the known, right? So, so what, about, uh, what about fungi? Uh, are they considered part of the microbial community as well, but they're not technically bacteria? I'm not sure we got that right. Yeah, when, when we say microbes, uh, we mean an, an essentially two kingdoms, the bacteria and the fungi, the fungal species. Okay, uh, we can analyze both communities at, at the same time. So when we're, but, um, so you're referring to, so anyway, so it gets confusing to people that are kind of on the fringe and, and looking at this and say, sometimes we talk about bacteria, sometimes we're talking about microbes, and actually microbes are bacteria. And when you're talking about microbial community, you're talking about fungi and the microbes, right? Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, because uh, at the end, microbes, uh, and I'm not going to, uh, to be very technical, are unicellular uh, species. Uh, living beings and um, bacteria are uh, fungi. Uh, they are considered microbes, the unicellular, because you have pluricellular uh, fungi, like the mushrooms. No, uh, mm -hmm. those are also from the fungi kingdom, but they are not considered uh, microbes themselves. But well, there, there could be. I don't want to get too controversial well, here no, because some I'm scientists not, will say no, those are microbes for sure. I, and, and I've got some listeners already that says there he goes again, you know, getting, getting <laughs> yeah. off. But I'm just trying to make sure I understand this. So now we got to get into what DNA sequencing. So first of all, these things are tiny, and you can't see them with a the human eye. And you can't, you know, it's not as easy as earthworms turning a shovel over. And they are really actually of taking physical samples of soil, right? And then, um, and you put it under a magnifying glass. Do you add chemicals to it? Do you, how do you, how do you go about trying to identify these little critters? Yeah. So in any spoonful of soil, there are billions of microbial cells, both bacteria and fungal species. So, but when it comes to species, there are not so many, probably a couple of thousands, 3,000 max. Uh, and those are the ones we want to see. We want to identify the different species and we want to 
quantify the abundance. So we can get a full profile of microbes. The technology allows us, the DNA sequencing technology allows us to really uh, read a piece of the DNA that will allow to identify the owner of that DNA. Let me say it that way. Sure. The process, I don't think, is, is uh, very we shouldn't go into detail on that. What is important is that at the end of the process, we get digital data on each one of the microbes that are populating the soil sample that we have received in our labs or our partner labs. Indulge me though, just one more of detail, but uh, can, you actually, can you actually see them? Can you actually use microscopes to be able to uh, see uh, a, a microbe? Is it defined like a, a, a molecule of some sort? Yeah, well, traditionally, uh, the culturing is the technique to identify microbes. Okay, uh, so you make a cellular culture and then a certain microbe will grow and then you see the biofilm and then you identify who is that specific species, which is the traditional microbiology approach. Uh, now that we have new techniques, uh, we can use genetics. And we've seen uh, very recently with the COVID uh, pandemic how uh, we can identify the presence of a virus because now PCR is a very common term. So these kind of techniques are the ones we use to really see if there is presence of certain species or uh, mm -hmm. living beings, okay? So the, the process is similar, but well, the techniques could be similar. The process is a little bit more complex because we can profile all of them at once, the known and the unknown. Uh, but the goal of this process, uh, we don't see them, let's say. We don't need to see them because the resolution of the technology allows that. But the, the goal of this process is to really build a, a profile of the community, to to understand what is the shape of the microbial community because what is important for the farming community is not uh, who is there, but what they do. Uh -huh. And this is what makes us unique. We build functional profiles of the soil to understand what are the ecological services that the soil is delivering for plant growth. So how those microbes are mobilizing the, the different nutrients like nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, and others, or uh, what is the risk of having diseases or how that soil is going to stress the plant or uh, deliver hormones for the plant to, to grow in a different way. And this is what is important for agronomists. So, so, well, so now we've got soil that you can identify the microbial community. You also then have plants that might be showing some signs of some some effect, like they're not growing as well as they should, or they're you know more vulnerable for drought or something like that. So then you can match up then, I assume, what would be the desirable microbial community to be able to get a favorable response from your from your plants, whatever it is you're growing. Is that is that right? Yeah, and even before we see symptomatology, we can prevent or react, uh, have an early reaction. Oh. So if we see that the, uh, the soil is not making the nitrogen available for the plant, that plant is not going to grow, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't need to see the plant not growing in order to see that the metabolic pathway is blocked. And this is what is the the 
powerful, the power of our technology, of our solutions that uh, help the agronomists and the farmers to anticipate actions and then deliver very personalized agriculture. So customized actions according to the needs that their field have. But there is always a but because this is a new dimension that we are uh, showing to, to the whole community, to the whole sector. And what we didn't know was the, the obvious question, what should I do, right? But we didn't have information about the impact of the different actions, the different inputs. And right now we hear so many biological companies delivering new solutions, the prebiotics and the pre probiotics of the field, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, actually nobody had a trustable information about the effect of those solutions, those practices, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we are doing as well. We're working with input manufacturers, we're working with different stakeholders in order to identify the impact of the different actions that people is doing in the field. And then if you have a real good diagnosis mm -hmm. on what a field needs, and then you have profiled the different solutions, then you have you can do a driven or you can a, a prescription that is going to be very effective or likely very effective. That's really interesting. I mean that you can predict what the what behavior might might be the outcome if you know eventually it's going. To, it, it's kind of reminds me of, of years past when I remember and have neighbors that said, "I think we're going we're going away for the weekend." And leaving the house with our teenage kids, but I'm sure they're going to be fine. You know, it's going to <laughs> sure, sure enough. There's a loud party, and you know, and um, and it, it was totally predictable. So you're kind of taking that parents are away for the weekend, and we got teenagers at home, and being these microbes that, in fact, that are left to their own devices, um, they're going to get in trouble. <laughs> they're they're going to cause cause trouble. And so I, I'm, I'm really, that's interesting. And then technically you could apply that to backyards and, and, you know, any place that's using, using soil, that's the technology if it scale wise, any, and I can see where it could apply anywhere in the world, but, but what a database. I mean, if you're, if you're gathering all of that information um, and then trying to predict what's what's needed and how the that microbial community could be better and i guess that's where your company has additional things you're evaluating it you're identifying it but then you've developed you've developed a way of of um bringing that microbial community to life i'm stumbling there help me adrian what how does that happen Yes, yeah, so exactly. That's the, the magic of uh, computing technologies. Uh, the data learning process or, well, machine learning or artificial intelligence at the end of the day is how we use data in order to predict, to learn and to, to make a smarter decisions at the end of the day. When we started in 2015, uh, and this is, uh, we come came from from the human health uh, industry when you, where you have a really good reference which is the the um, the human genome right but when we jump into the agriculture with the same idea of bringing personalized uh, medicine into agriculture kind of then we realized that we didn't have any reference on what was a good profile functional profile of a soil so we started to build that today uh, we have process over 
over 60,000 samples coming from all across the world from different crops. We have uh, references for 130 different crops. So we have really good understanding on how a soil looks like. And then when you um, put this data together with other sources of data like yield, weather, then the, the system can start identifying patterns. And when you identify patterns and you add a new data point, then you can uh, the, the system can start uh, predicting what is going to happen according to those patterns. So you start modeling the, the ecological behaviors of the soil. And if you do this in this field, this is going to be likely going to happen. So this is the, the what makes us very excited about the technological process, especially on the computing side. And we decided to apply it into, into the agriculture. What is very interesting, and this is a data I, I love to say, we, we have profile in our database 10 million of different uh, taxonomic units. We say taxonomic units because each microbe could be considered a taxonomic unit, no? But humans have been able to name just around half million of microbes, 350,000 different bacteria and 150,000 fungal species. Mm -hmm. Meaning we see everything but not everything is known. What we can do is a, a taxonomic association. I might not know if I have a cat, a tiger, or a, um, a lion, but I have a felon, and I know what is the role of this uh, species in the community because they do the same. They have the same metabolical process pathways. No, and this is how we're well continuously learning. And we started seven years ago. We are really advanced. But if we talk in five, ten years from now, I will probably tell you different things because we have learned, we will learn a lot in the way. So these microbes um, can go out from a plant and bring back more of what they need. They can they bring back into the into the plant, as I understand it. Uh, it's it's kind of an extension of the root system because the the microbes are doing their job. They're running out there, bringing stuff back in and dumping it into the into the plant roots and and so forth. I would imagine there's differences. Like some of them do a better job than others. That some of these microbes can can I don't know maybe go several feet, and some of them are going way out and coming back and bringing like little dump trucks that are running back and forth in the soil, bring, bringing the good stuff back into the plant and then back out again. Yeah, well, uh, there is these uh, theorists that I really believe um, because they are data and they are uh, really serious scientific publications that plants are connected through the roots. So microbes speak each other also underground. So they are also connected. Uh, it's a holistic system, not that uh, everything is, is balanced. And uh, in the moment you make an interference uh, or create a, a noise or change something, everything will um, self-balance in a different way. Mm -hmm. And if you remain changing that for a long time, then nature will learn 
which individually and aggregately will create those those balances and uh, something is going to happen. So understanding this is what makes us very excited. Going specifically on microbes, that's right. There are some of them that are better than others doing the job. You know? uh, in the same way that, let's say for the audience, if we go to the jungle, there are certain predators that are more effective or scary than others, but yeah. all of them are predators, yeah. right? Yeah. So they have the role and all of them are relevant in that ecosystem. Because if you break the balance, then probably something is going to happen. Probably not good. Uh, some, some of my listeners are going to the farmer's market, buying foods, or they're maybe going to a restaurant that's farm to table restaurant and they're really concerned about how their food's produced. Those same, same, same people that are scratching their head right now and saying, I'm trying to understand soils and what's going on here. Go to the grocery store and buy um, $3.75 a, a serving uh, probiotic drinks. But they have no idea what impact it's having. You know, they think it's making them feel kind of better, but there's no evidence. There's no, you know, there's some broad statement on these various probiotics and prebiotic products that are in grocery stores. And it seems that agriculture is going much further, much faster. You're you're describing um, impacts and effects on food production that, to my knowledge, exceed what's available for for humans, when, when when humans are looking for the effects of microbials, which aren't argued anymore, I think everybody knows they are. But but what you're knowing about the soil strikes me as being ahead of what we tend to know about the human microbiome. But maybe I'm giving you too much credit, Adrian. But well, uh, I, I I don't deserve any credit. I will say, but I I'm really passionate about all this. What I can tell you is beyond advertisement or marketing on those probiotics. Uh, the the reality is that uh, we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what we need as the reality. Uh, it's likely that if you have a probiotic, it's going to have an, an impact. In the same way that if you have an antibiotic, you are going to, be, because you are ill or you need medicine, then it's going to have an impact, especially on the gut microbiome, that's for sure. So, but uh, what is going to happen? Let me just give you an example. So what would happen if you release a rabbit in the middle of the um, uh, Brazilian jungle, yeah. rainforest, right? Probably nothing. No, that rabbit will disappear, even bite whatever, right? Yeah. Or killed by a snake. Uh, but if you release that rabbit in the Australian rainforest, then it happens that suddenly you have a, a problem with rabbits in the whole in the whole continent, and that's an historical fact that happened. Mm. So, what is going to happen when you add certain bacteria or certain inoculate certain microbes? Nobody knows. When it comes to people, it's really curious that we try to understand if there is any pattern. But because we travel a lot, we like to eat in different restaurants because we we eat food coming from different places. So we alterate continuously uh, what we eat. And food is how we uh, feed ourselves, but it's also how we inoculate ourselves with microbes. So we want that. We need that. Otherwise, uh, we will damage our immune system and will not be as adapted as we are. And then we will be exposure to certain diseases, certain threats, let's say. And probably the reason because we, we have had a couple of years ago a virus running 
freely around the world uh, is because we broke certain balances at the ecological level on, on the microbes. So that could happen. Can I share one experience that we have with apples? I think this is going to be very interesting because uh, when we were well developing and testing the technology to understand what was the real value for for everybody, so uh, we we interact with different stakeholders, and one of them were uh, was a company actually um, conservating or delivering solutions to to preserve uh, fresh fruit. Okay. In this case, we did an experiment with apples, and we wanted to compare what was the inoculate or the difference between conventional farm apples and organic farm apples. So we were looking at the at the skin of the apples and the microbes there. So what is that? What is the microbial load that you are eating when you are uh, having those kind of apples? And they were thinking on how they need to preserve those apples in order to extend the life of the apples for for good, no, for market reasons. And what we found out is that uh, conventional farm apples have lower biodiversity, so less microbes. Okay, and uh, organic uh, apples have higher biodiversity, which is let's say reasonable. No, this is expected, right? Now. We, we need to forget about what is good or what is bad. There is no good or, or bad, okay? There are, uh, we have to go beyond that. So if I ask you, uh, which apples would you buy for a school with kids, with children that needs to develop the immune system? Which one would you say? Because when we found higher biodiversity, we also found threats, pathogens. Not, not all the microbes are good, not all the microbes are bad, no? again, depending on what is the balance. But in the uh, conventional farm apples, biodiversity were lower, but also the food safety was higher. Yeah. So if you ask me, I'm the director of a school or I am the director of a, of a hospital who has people who is recovering from diseases really weak, probably I want to buy conventional farm apples because those are safety. But if I'm caring for children who need to develop the immune system, I want them to be exposure at certain level to those pathogens because otherwise our immune system will not learn. This is the magic of knowledge, of data. As we move forward, we can do these kind of things. Yeah. Well, because like you're saying, I think in those in some cases, not all, but there's going to be more uh, E. coli and Listeria and Salmonella, and you know that that are um, the, you know, we don't the, want the, the really the bad, bad ones. The pathogens too. Yeah, there are other pathogens that are not as bad. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and that's we can find and can another, help us to train. Yeah, I know. There's going to be another discussion on that. But let's let's kind of get to the end. So so we identify the technology is there. You've proven the fact of what of what works. Uh, you you know what's going on in the soil. You can predict what's going to happen with the crops because of your knowledge of the microbes. Now, a person can't just call up somebody and say, "Bring me a tank full of microbes," you know, and I'm going to spread it on my soil, or "Bring me a truckload of of microbes." I mean, how do you get from uh, identifying the need and then impacting that community what what is added or you know put into the soil to to bring that balance about that you're looking for 
when you talk to the farming community, they always tell you that, uh, especially when it comes to biologicals, biological inputs, talking about biofertilizers, biostimulants, non-different biocontrol uh, inputs. So what they, they are always concerned is that, is it going to work in my field? Not because that's like an assumption, right? It's not going to work linearly all across the world, all across the, the country. Different states are going to have different needs, for sure, because the soil is different, the weather is different, the plants might be even different, the practices are different. So I I, I want to have to spend the money in something that is going to work. Uh, the reality is that uh, yeah, some companies haven't done this very diligently, and they have been advertising that their solutions are amazing and they will work and so on. And suddenly it happens that they don't or they don't work as, as they are expecting because they don't understand how their solutions are working. And this is what we are helping them with on the manufacturing side because there is this um, warning of snake oil no, on the biological input community uh, from the farming community. And we want to raise that because probably uh, you need the right biological for the right soil. And this is what we want to do. So if we study properly each one of the practices, each one of the inputs and generate enough data, then we can predict what is going to happen under different situations. Mm -hmm. okay, this is like the, the first. And, and then uh, the spray and pray will disappear. No, this is always something. Well, disappear, decrease the uncertainty about what is going to happen, let's say. No? Because then, yeah, imagine well, we're under a climatic crisis. So that's going to have probably higher impact in the in the crop than than the, the inputs. No. So this is how we're building the, the knowledge to really make mm, data-driven prescriptions on what to do on the field. So but is it is the raw is the material then uh, put into a, a liquid solution for uh, a, a spray or powders or that is incorporated into the soil? Yeah, there are different ways. Uh, you will find most of the biologicals uh, have liquid uh, formulation. So, and the typical way to, to spray is through the irrigation system. Okay, but there are some like powder with a mic in, like living but not active microbes that will activate in the moment you throw in, in the field. It, it's solution, and this is uh, depending on the manufacturer, they decide what to do. Sometimes the prescription is don't buy anything or even reduce the amount of uh, chemical fertilizers. We have seen uh, clients increasing the yield like 2% and decreasing the, the um, agrochemicals by 20%. This is a lot of money for them. And this 2% increase itself, it would be enough, but uh, then you decrease 20%. And uh, what they did is just uh, playing a little bit with the soil biology and increasing the, the nutrient mobilization efficiency, which currently it's around 30%, meaning that if you throw in the field 50 or 100 uh, pounds of whatever, only 30 are going to get into the plant. The rest will remain there or disappear or pollute the water or, you know, have not very positive impact. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, we need to be very smart. And especially now that the prices of the fertilizers, as I mentioned before, are skyrocketing. So, did, did I hear you right at the beginning of our conversation that you've identified like a thousand species that are kind of kind of key? Per um, sample. Uh, okay. Okay. So, um, and now once you identify those, I mean, how do you um, how do you get more of those? I mean, you you figure out of those thousand, you know, you've got some that you just think are are often really really good to have. I mean, uh, can you grow those species? Are you able to uh, to be able to find a, a, other than just go seek them out where they already exist? Uh, how how do you get more of them so that you can help share them to people that need them? Yes, yeah, so that's a challenge. We are a data company, we're a startup. So our business is not to develop new solutions, new fertilizers or new inputs. Okay, we're just in between the input manufacturer and the prescriptor, which is usually the retailer or the agronomist or you know the 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 technical team in the farm that is purchasing the inputs. We are helping them, we're a tool for them to enable like really smart uh, transactions or decisions, right? But you're right, uh, the knowledge we're accumulating is really interesting. And uh, what some clients are asking is, can you really help me to improve my solution? What this area will need? So uh, what we can say is um, Illinois, when it comes to corn, have these features. And if we were improving this with this, potentially a species, uh, the, the, a, a solution that will do this with this species will work really well. This is something we can do. This is something that we can help to design, but we don't want to really design. I mean, we're an independent company. We have professional investors, but uh, we need people to trust the, the results that we provide because otherwise, yeah, we'll, it's, it's not going to work. No, you want to be like, let me say Google, not that gives you the best the best results from the search. We want to be really data driven, and this is what characterizes us. We are a science driven company. We apply, develop, and apply technology, and uh, we need to be respected. And this is the reason because we work with over two hundred different. Uh, we have over two hundred academia collaborations, and we have so many scientific publications presenting our results. We do a lot of exposure and validation with the uh, researchers and uh, academy, just to be sure that they validate us and people feel comfortable using us. Will GMO or CRISPR technologies be uh, be useful? All kind of technologies uh, are going to be useful. The point is how we use them. Okay, we have to learn to use those technologies in order to be more more um, secure. Let's say, not secure, safe, right? Uh, probably we started using some of them without having full control of the tools. But GMO, uh, also genetic modification, and CRISPR are excellent tools. Uh, CRISPR is even better because we can start target specific changes and then there is a self-balance on, on the rest of the mechanism of the DNA. So, but we need to keep working on that before we go into, let's say, uh, the society with solutions. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that you can be looking at strands of DNA within these, uh, you know, microbes and and possibly uh, affect them, make the changes, like you say, edit them, uh, like you know, like like CRISPR at some stage, which is 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 just the. Uh, I mean, that scares some people that are concerned about it. Um, but I think that uh, just like you say, the application of these technologies can be can be so so positive. But there's it's quite a frontier, Adrian. Um, mm -hmm. Well, actually, uh, it's real that uh, those technologies are available uh, to be used. Uh, but how we use them, this is what is the question. We cannot be really risk takers and do whatever without being conscious about the impact or the consequences. And there is a balance because at the end of the day, what we're doing is what nature is doing naturally. So we're the, the, the result of so many mutations, so many changes at DNA level that has happened and have accumulated and natural selection has put us right here, right now. So now we have the opportunity to really play, right? But uh, now is the time to play, but the time to use will come later once we have played enough, we understand everything that is happening and we have full control and understanding on the impact and consequences of those technologies. You know, I'm thinking about the the impact because if you look at then all the way down to what the effect might be, and the first things that people usually look at are certainly yield um, and how healthy the plant seems, but but in the what's the produce that comes off of the plant? How how big is it? How many uh, pounds or bushels do you get per acre? Well, I was suspect there will come a time where wanting to project the impact on the nutritional value of those plants will come into play too, that it's not going to be simply enough to have drought resistance because of a healthier microbial community, but that um, I may want to buy something that is um, higher in, you know, one nutrient or something for my family, you know, that, that matches up with our personal DNA, which I suppose is still a few ways, a few years down the road, but but ultimately, isn't that going to be kind of the holy grail that you can connect all the dots that you not only know this microbial community, but how it's utilized in the plant? And other than just saying how big and how many we get, um, here are the here's what it's contribute to our human health and affects our own personal my, microbes and our 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 health individually and of our families. Exactly. And this is the magic of societies, human societies. Uh, there are many companies that are exploring the boundaries in that in those fields and are doing amazing discoveries and applications in order to help us to move ahead on a customized nutritional or, or a better nutritional. We decide to stay or contribute just in this specific field that is, okay, let's help farming community to understand what, what, how to do better and deliver healthier food. But there are other companies and this is the, the different roles that we are taking. No? Each one should do whatever they feel passionate about and they feel they can do the best. No, and and once you put all the the improvements, uh, all the the progress together, then we as a world, as humans, move ahead, and then we ensure that we have a planet we can live in, and many generations of humans can remain here. We have food that 
can feed us in the best way. We avoid to die because of diseases, blah, 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 and so on. So this is the goal and this is the exercise, the collaborative exercise. Well, we started this conversation with the fact that it's happening all over the world. And I assume soon after we're through with this podcast, you're going to go jump on an airplane and fly somewhere else where people are interested in improving their profitability and, and the agriculture. And as you do that, a couple of quick questions. Um, when you look down the road and you see the journey that you're on with your products and so forth, and just where this technology and these um, where the science is cur currently, what what gives you kind of the most optimism about the next four or five years? What you're looking down the road and and if we come back and say, let's talk again and say, gee, what happened, you know, between this year and that year? I mean, what is it that you get excited about as you look to the future and what you think can happen? Me personally, I feel really excited about the, the consciousness of a environment. It, it has been always there. But right now, I, I will say I feel that people is taking it seriously. And companies like ours are playing a higher role, which is very interesting. And from as a company, I mean, from the financial point of view, we need that to be to survive. But as, a, as an entrepreneur, this is what makes me spend the time and the energy on what we do, because uh, I can ensure that the reason because we decided to start this company is because in the area, uh, Alberto said the other founder of the company and myself come from is the northwest of Spain, where corn and sugar beets are so relevant. This is the crop that yeah, you see everywhere. And uh, we've seen the, the, how the environment was progressively um, worse. And from time to time, we were not able to drink the water, the tap water, because of, of the load of chemicals. In the same way, it happens to certain areas in, in California. So we realized that it's not blame. Uh, we should not blame farming community. We should help them by providing data and so on but and i see that there is this uh, reception so they are open for that and then the second aspects that excites me a lot and probably if we talk back in four or five years uh, hopefully we have overcome this uh, climate crisis that we are suffering we are taking it seriously and we start uh, or stop polluting as much our atmosphere and take the carbon topic very serious. This is important. And the way we're helping is by helping farmers to move from a carbon emitting agriculture into a carbon sequestering agriculture, because coming back to the 200 years ago practices, farming practices, merge with the improvements or the lessons learned during these years, this is going to help us to be more conscious. So those are the two topics that I will say. No, I think that's I think that's great, and and I think that uh, there are people that have stayed with us in this conversation and then are coming to recognize that there is a frontier, and there's a frontier in our soil which is exciting, and that's uh, two other quick questions then, and then I want to want to wrap up and. And the first one I should say is uh, you've been kind to explain all that that's going on. Uh, but if people want to get more information on on what you're doing, where would you suggest that they look for more information or to find what you're doing or even identifying more of what's happening in this whole in this whole area? 
Well, for sure, as a company, we have digital presence. And I would say this is the easiest way to find information about biomimakers. So just Google or any other uh, searcher. <laughs> I mentioned twice Google. I don't sure, know if sure. that's good or <laughs> but anyway. They, they need all the uh, help they can get. <laughs> So biomimakers.com and they will find we have also social media presence and it's so easy to connect to us. So happy to receive any query, email, expression of interest and even collaboration. So we're really happy to collaborate and expand the the impact of our technology. Good, good. Biomakers.com, B-I-O-M-E, makers, M-A-K-E-R-S.com. And then then finally, uh, it's a quick question. How'd you get here? I mean, you founded a company and you're doing this. I mean, did you, uh, did you grow up on a farm? Did you study some, some sort of scientific uh, line in college of some sort? I mean, I mean, how did you find yourself to be a founder of a company that's working on these groundbreaking, literally, um, programs that you're doing? So I'm very passionate about the environment and technology. Uh, my co-founder is very passionate about the environment and science. So if you mix both of them, uh, well, I really love when I hear in in US, everybody saying I'm third uh, farming generation. Um, Actually, I'm not a farmer myself. I decided to take a different path. My father is not a farmer, but my grandfather and probably if I keep looking in uh, different generations, we are all farmers and I'm surrounded by farming, by agriculture. All my friends, most of my friends are in, in agriculture. So that's how we probably figure out that there was this need um, because we have the experience on the technology and we have the experience or the knowledge on the science. We decide to combine both to develop this solution. And what took us to, to US was uh, an accelerator, a great company called Illumina. Though Illumina is the company manufacturing the, the sequencing device, the DNA sequencing device, and uh, making it possible to really digitalize the, the DNA at the level that we are doing today. So we were the first non-American company selected by then in 2015 in, in their accelerator program, corporate accelerator program. And that was the beginning of everything. Seven years ago, we have... 80 people in in the company uh, most of the people is based in us and we also have people in europe and latin america so yeah really excited about what is going to come we're in a very sweet spot right now uh, as, a, as a company we are growing very quick so yeah feel very very happy about the life and very excited about uh, how people is accepting uh, the technology and the impact we are having on them you know, Adrian, I was thinking as you were talking about it, you clearly are excited about it. And it's nice that you can get other people excited about it, too, because you're getting the farmers excited about it. I think consumers are going to be excited about it. But I also think it, that there must be an opportunity to get down to school level. So these um, these high school kids and that are kind of like I can remember being one time. It's like, why do I need to look into science? You know? It's funny, all these years later, I'm finding a lot of reasons I wished I had paid more attention because I have to ask all these basic questions, but this is really an, an, an exciting time. And I, and I wonder if you find any opportunity to um, either motivate people that are choosing courses to study or are thinking about what direction they may go with their career, or maybe even recruiting people in their first job coming out of university in some cases. 
Yeah, this is something we do. Uh, we have so many people under 25 years old so in the company uh, because we see that there is a lot of energy, uh, openness, and uh, ambition, and as well, knowledge. So, yeah, we, we really like to share because we've been helped a lot. So many people have, has helped us to get where we are. So we feel in the obligation to, to give back. So, yeah, we do a lot of education in universities. We also train agronomists on everything we have learning. We talk, but there is an aspect that is important. Uh, it's great that people get passionate about business, science, technology, whatever. But it's also important that uh, they are open enough to collaborate. So we see so many scientists that they feel scientists and they are scientists and they cannot, they don't want to do anything but science. It's like, Hey, you have to connect to the rest of the world in the same way that business without science or technology doesn't make any sense. So we need to connect each other and start sharing the knowledge and building things together because that, those things are going to be the ones that are going to help us to, to keep progressing well, and moving and ahead. You're, you're combining business and science. And then the other thing that motivates many people, some more than others, is that how can we save the world that we're heading for disaster? And and you get that taken care of too. So um, I think we can all thank you for what you're doing and hope you're successful. I know you're not the only company that's moving in this direction, but it certainly seems like you're moving very fast and wish you the best and, and appreciate your being on Farm to Table Talk. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 